Well, as we jump in today, uh, obviously what's on at least my mind, I don't know about you, I've been watching a lot of the news, what's been taking place in Israel, a lot of the attack and all of that. And, and, and so I just wanna go ahead and say, you know, we, we stand with Israel. Now, let, let me give you the reason why we don't stand with, with Israel because they're, they always rule in righteousness because they don't. There, there's a lot of secular aspects of the government. We don't stand with them just because of that. We stand with them because they're they're God's chosen people. Now, I, I want to be really clear about this. A lot of times we, we obsess over, okay, what's Israel's role in the end times? And, and so what, what I want to say is, is uh, Christ is the centerpiece of the end times, not Israel. However, that being said, Israel is part of God's chosen people. And, and if, so here's where we are. We don't believe uh, here at Grace that, that the church has, you know, God is just through with Israel and now it's the church. No, because the gospel, uh, Paul writes in Romans 1.16, is for the Jew first, then the Greek. Also in, in, in chapters nine through 11 of Romans, that, that section of the Bible that we fight over about predestination and stuff, we get all obsessed with everything. It's not, it's not about that. It literally is about God's choosing his election of his people, Israel. And people are asking the question, well, you know, post cross is God through with Israel? And what Paul writes is that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And when he's saying that, he's not talking about, you know, for those of you that are in ministry, his calling is irrevocable. No, it's literally talking about his choosing of his people. They're always gonna be his chosen people. And what we can know is that God is going to do something. He is going to do a work in Israel. And so that's why we're gonna pray for Israel, stand with Israel, pray, man, for a revival in Israel. That's what I'm praying. And so, man, just as, as a church, let's continue to pray. But I think what it does is it also, it brings a, a little sense of reality to what we're talking about as we've been going through Revelation. We don't need to, we don't need to think, oh, you know, I've heard Jesus coming soon, Jesus coming soon, Jesus coming soon. We've heard it for 2000 years. I'm telling you, Jesus is coming soon. Is it tomorrow? I don't know. Is it 20 years from now? I don't know. But, but the, the message we preach, the good news that we declare is that today is the day of salvation. He has given us grace. He's giving us mercy even in this day. And so I just pray that even as we dig in and we hit a part of Revelation, honestly, it's a little weird. So if you're new to grace, you're jumping right in to the middle of a series. We're going through Revelation and I'm probably gonna make some of you mad as we jump in today because... When we think of Revelation, immediately what we go to usually first is, oh, who's the Antichrist? Oh, the mark of the beast, what's it gonna be? Well, I'm gonna hit this, but I might have a little different take on this perhaps than where you've gone and I, I wanna be faithful to do so from the word of God. And so let's just dive in and, and would you just bow just for a second as we pray for God's help as, as, as we jump in. Lord, as I share this morning, I just ask for your anointing and, and blessing. And God, as we pause here and, and we think about the reality of, of what is here, though there's a lot of symbolic language that is used here in Revelation, it's, it's pointing to a very vivid reality. The fact that you're coming soon, 
the fact that you have a plan for this world. And God, whether or not what we've seen in the headlines over the last couple of days is part of this or not, we do believe that you're at work. And so we do pray for Israel even this morning. But God, I also pray for this congregation here that you would open our eyes. May they not go away agreeing with me because that doesn't matter. Dear God, I pray that they would come back to your word. And dear God, we would allow your word to guide our thoughts, our preparation, and dear God, our expectation. And for what you're gonna do, because we've gathered here today, we say thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So real quick, just to give you a quick summary, uh, last week we talked, you know, we hit the first part of Revelation 13 and, uh, and then I paused before ending the, the whole thing. And I'm just gonna tell you, if you've got your message guide, you type A personality people, OCD, I've got to fill out every line. What if he doesn't get to it? Like my, my week is not going to be worth living because he left off the fourth point. Just chill. Like I, I, I promise if I don't get it to it this week, we'll get to it next week. But last week we were talking about how, uh, you know, we, we saw you know, the dragon, which is Satan, Revelation 12. And in chapter 13, he summons the first beast from the sea. Uh, the, this first beast, uh, you know, referencing political, it's, it's, it's in a political context. And we have the second beast, which is uh, the, the, this prophet. And, and this prophet is a counterfeit. He's a, he's a counterfeit of, of, of the Holy Spirit. And there's a spiritual aspect to this. But what we see is the, dra- the, the dragon is, is setting things up. He's given the first beast authority to declare war on the people of God. But then he's also giving authority to the second beast to, to confuse and accuse the people of God. But now as we jump into this next part, um, we're, we're gonna talk about this thing that like people are obsessed with, the mark of the beast. Some of you have been waiting for this message. You're like, yeah, get through all that stuff about the saints. I, I wanna get to the mark of the beast. Well, here we go, verse 16. The second prophet speaking here, also it causes all both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man and his number is 666. And just keep your Bibles open because we're, we're gonna get into chapter 14. And if I've got time, just the beginning of chapter 15. But, but man, this, this, this mark of the beast has caused a lot of confusion. I remember the first time I was even aware that this was a thing was like I was seven years old and I was with some family members at a grocery store I still like literally remember the grocery store. And I remember what aisle I was on when I heard one family member say to another as the, as the person was scanning the UPC codes on the little you know, uh, scanner, you know, I wonder if the mark of the beast is gonna be something like this. And I'm like, beast? Mark of the beast, what in the world? So we, we got in the car and I'm like, uh, what's the mark of the beast? And like, oh, you know, it's, and they tried to explain this. And, and I'm like, and the only thing I could figure out, they were talking about UPC codes. I'm like, dude, you know, the green bean, uh, you know, the, how's this have to do with the mark of the beast? I was confused. And I actually think that a lot of people, when it comes to this whole idea of the mark of the beast, that we've, we've, we've spent a lot of time in speculation. I've been right there with you. You know, across the years as pastor, I've had everything from people sending me emails to articles saying that the COVID vaccine is the mark of the beast. 
They've said that these ID chips that they put in pets, that's the, they're gonna put them in humans, that's the mark of the beast. Some people said, oh, I'm never gonna get a tattoo because that's the mark of the beast. Yeah, listen, I've heard, I've heard it all. But I wanna actually focus on not the what, though I, I'm gonna address that here in just a second. I, I, I wanna talk about the purpose of the mark. Because here's what we're gonna see if you're taking notes. I want you to write down the first of four points that I hope to make this morning. First of all, it's this. Every person from what we see here in Revelation has one of two marks. Every person has one of two marks. So like we focus a lot on this reference and it's referenced just a few places here in Revelation, the mark of the beast. But we, we kind of just ignore what we've already been reading in the first 12 chapters. And that is that the people of God have been marked on the forehead. They have been sealed. They've been marked. They've been protected from the attack of the enemy because they have this mark. And, 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 and so because we understand in those contexts, in chapter seven, chapter nine, John's writing in symbolic language, I don't think that we interpret this as a physical marking, but as a spiritual marker seal, because we also have New Testament context in which it talks about we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. There's something that, that is, is marking Christians. And so a lot of times we don't talk about the mark of Christ. No, we won't talk about the mark of the beast. But, but I think it's very important for us to understand that Every person is marked. Every person in this room is marked. But this idea of marking, even this idea of being marked by God and marked for God, it actually shows up elsewhere in scripture. In fact, one of the earliest places we, we see this being marked by God, it, it actually is in, in Exodus chapter 28. In Exodus chapter 28, it's, it's talking about the establishment of the high priests and about these holy garments that they're given. And as part of the holy garment they're given, they're actually given this turban. And on the turban is a gold plate. And on the gold plate is inscribed these words, holy to the Lord. Holy to the Lord. Across the forehead, the high priest uh, would wear this nameplate that said, holy to the Lord. And this, this mark or sign on their foreheads distinguished these high priests as, as belonging to or, or being identified with, being set apart for in, they're in the service of the Lord. And you're like, okay, but yeah, but those were high priests. We're not high priests. Mm, hold on a second. Peter makes this point, very interesting. He's, he, he makes this point in 1 Peter 2.5. He's talking to believers and he says that on the other side of the cross, he, he's, he's talking about what is going to happen. At the time he writes this, Jerusalem hasn't fallen. They're still offering sacrifices at the temple. But as the book of Hebrews and even what Peter's alluding to, it's going to happen. Uh, that, that sacrificial system's going away. He says this in verse five, chapter two, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be, what? A holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about this being marked by Christ, there is actually an old Testament precedent for this as a holy priesthood were set apart to God. We're marked not physically, but we're marked spiritually. And what he says is we're not offering physical sacrifices. What does he say we offer? We offer spiritual sacrifices. Now, what we what we've see in the three verses we've read so far in chapter 13 is that 
The second beast, this false prophet, the deceiver, likewise is marking those who were set apart to the first beast. So remember, this, this second, the second beast, what we've seen last week, he's a deceiver. Satan deceives, that's, what, that's who he is. He, he's, he's an accuser, he's a deceiver. And so this counterfeit, so if, if, if those that are set apart to Christ have been marked, they're, they're set apart to offer these spiritual sacrifices, well, he is marking his as well. Now, this whole thing about being marked in the forehead and the, and the hand, is, you know, and I've talked about this, that there's an already and a yet to come aspect to Revelation. But there is, there is some historical precedence for the being marked on the forehead and being marked on the hand. And, and actually, it's like the, the earliest, at least that I'm aware of, is going back to ancient Egypt. When, uh, when the pharaohs would, would you know, conduct their raids of other nations and that sort of thing, when, when a nation was overthrown and the, and the people were brought into captivity, they were marked by the Egyptians. They were tattooed. And they were tattooed either on their forehead or on their right hand. And what was tattooed was, was the name of the Egyptian God or the name of the Pharaoh, which actually the, the Pharaoh was also viewed as a God. And so this, this mark showed that they actually belonged. They had been captured and they belonged to this God. Now, later, and, and by the way, this was a practice that, that that's the earliest that I know of. I'm, it might even have existed before then, but that was something that actually carried all the way through the Roman Empire. Uh, uh, Emperor Domitian is in, in power as John is receiving this vision. This would not have been a foreign concept to them. In fact, if, you know, like tattoos have been part of, of uh, captives and imprisoning people. I mean, they even did this in the Holocaust and all of that. However, when you, when you go back to the Roman Empire, another thing that the Roman Empire would do at times is soldiers who, who willingly enlisted, they would be marked as well. They would be marked uh, there, there, was a, uh, there was a special marking from the Roman Empire. Again, there was on their forehead or there was on their hand, it was a tattoo that actually showed that they were serving, they were fighting for the Roman Empire. The, the interesting thing though, is this whole idea of being marked, the forehead, the hand, it has historical precedence. It has biblical precedence, but this idea of being marked is an allusion to this, this, this whole thing of belonging to something or belonging to someone. And so when I make this point that every person has one or two marks, honestly, what I'm saying is, is not that you just have a mark. The, the question that we have to ask is this, who do I belong to? That's the question. Who do I belong to? The Holy Spirit is marking the people of God. The counterfeit is marking the, the, the worshipers of the beast. What we see here is, is this, this power is, is keeping track and it knows who belongs to them. It's keeping track of them. And you're like, well, I just wonder if it's gonna be a chip. Honestly, if you have a cell phone, guess who's keeping track of you? In fact, you know, I'm gonna keep up. I'm gonna preach to them today. They're gonna be, they're gonna get a message. They're gonna put it right there. That's good. <laughs> if I had Alexa up here, I'd tell her too. This is good. <laughs> now, the reality is we, we get caught up in, oh, what could it be? 
honestly, the question that we have to ask ourselves, we should be asking ourselves is who do I belong to? This whole idea that, that we see here, it brings to mind what happened in Daniel 3. If you remember the whole thing of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's this massive, uh, this, this, they, they erected this, this massive uh, figure and they were told that you needed to bow to this. And this was in Babylon. If you did not bow, you would die. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to compromise their sense of belonging to God. They refused to bow. They stood and, and they were sentenced to death. And we know how that story ended. It didn't end so well for Nebuchadnezzar. But, but this whole idea of, of belonging is what this mark has to do with. And you're like, well, what, what, what's it talking about with this whole, you know, you, know buy, you can't buy or sell without the mark? Again, futuristically, I can't speak to that I know what that means. I, I know what John probably would have thought. He would have thought exactly what he'd already referenced, what had already been referenced to him in Revelation chapter two. When Jesus is, is commending the church in Smyrna, for their faithfulness in the, in, in the face of persecution. If you know anything about the church in Smyrna, what we know from their history is in that, in that area, Christians were forbidden to participate in trade guilds. You weren't allowed to, to sell. You, you had to participate in, in the worship, the, the pagan festivals. You had to offer worship to the emperor. In fact, by the time Domitian got in power, he, he actually made it, he, he, this is one of the things that he put in, in place that, that Christians were not allowed to participate in the trade guilds, which is how you were approved by the empire to make money unless you gave worship to the emperor. Now, this is interesting. He was okay if you called yourself a Christian. You just had to also bow to the emperor. But the reason Smyrna is actually commended for their faith is because they paid the price. They lost their income. Many of them lost their lives. They lost access to money because they would not bow. Now, I'm gonna take it a place where some of you are gonna think I'm getting political. I'm not, but hold on just a second. This happens even today. And I just wanna, I wanna make it really, really clear. There is no neutrality and there's no place for neutrality when it comes to belonging. We either belong to Christ or we don't. And Babylon has always been Associated even here in Revelation, Babylon is associated with this, the, the, with the world, this this spiritual kingdom that is that is opposed to God. And I want you to know that just like all the way back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't mind if they called themselves Christians. We just want you to bow when we tell you to bow. Today, it's no different. Nobody, man, everybody's cool with you you being a Christian as long as you bow to who you're supposed to bow to. Dude, these progressive woke corporations, they're perfectly okay with you having the name Christian, but there are gonna be days that they're gonna force you to wear the pin or to wear the colors or to 
stand for something that you're like, man, I just can't do that. I'm not a fear monger. Those of you that know me know that's, like, I, I believe the best is yet to come. I'm an eternal optimist, man. I'm like, I've read the back of the book and I know what happens. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I'm all in. But I am gonna say, before we get to the back of the book, the church is gonna be tested. And what in the world makes us think as American Christians that we're gonna escape what actually Peter and Paul referred to as the privilege of suffering for Christ? And if we haven't got this whole idea of what it means to belong to Christ and we're like, well, yeah, I can belong to Christ and I can still bow over here when it's convenient, you've gotta know that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. And I'm not saying this like to castigate or, or anything like that. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this hopefully so we understand what, what is being taught of, about this marking. There's a clear demarcation. I, I, there's somebody that goes to our church that actually was fired because they failed to do what was told to do to, you know, to support a, a specific area of sin. They just, they wouldn't do it and they lost their job. Can I tell you that that person would be welcome any day in the church of Smyrna? There's gonna come a time and a place where your faith in Jesus Christ will cost you. And what we're gonna see as we continue through chapter 13 and on into chapter 14 is there's actually, it's, it's gonna be what Jesus talked about in, in, in Matthew. This, there's a separating of the, of the grain from, from the weeds. And guys, we cannot, as a people of God, bow. Serving Christ will cost you. What did Jesus say when he talked about following him? He said, if any of you wants to follow me, deny yourself daily, pick up your cross and follow me. That does not mean that we go around with this martyr complex. Oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. They, I said, Merry Christmas, and they didn't say it back. Oh, just so terrible. Dude, you guys, like, if that's your idea of persecution, you need to get over yourself. Literally, Christians need to start complaining about the right things. Like, we're a bunch, we're a bunch of wusses sometimes, so stop. We, we complain about things that really aren't persecution. You actually diminish what's taking place around the world where people are dying for the cause of Christ. Okay, and, but, but what I'm saying though, there's, we, I, I think we should be surprised if we don't suffer because we're following Jesus Christ. I think we should be surprised at that. I heard that phone, they're calling, the government's calling. I knew it, they're listening. They're listening, I knew it, I knew it. I'm gonna tell you, they're tracking us down. All right, so what's up with this whole 666 thing? Um, like there's, there's a whole part of numerology, this part of, of, of Jewish rabbinical and, and Jewish culture and all that. I'm not gonna get into that. I, I, uh, seven is always uh, the number of perfection. Six is the number of man. Um, seven, 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 <laughs> perfection to the nth degree. Uh, six, 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 uh, the, the wisdom of man to the nth degree. If nothing else, while I can't tell you the, the specifics of everything, I'm no expert in this, I can tell you that this six, 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 just the number of the beast, it's, it's nothing more than showing that this beast is a cheap imitation of the real thing. This is the wisdom of man. 
Here is the perfection of Christ. And there's a, there's a sharp distinction between the two. Let me keep moving because I'm never going to get this if I, don't, if I don't keep going. Number two, the second thing I want you to write down is I want you to notice this. These two marks have two completely, two entirely different destinations. And this is where we jump into chapter 14. In the first five verses of chapter 14, we see these 144,000 that, that we saw in chapter seven, these, uh, you know, the, these people that are marked by Christ, are praising God, they're singing a new song, and we see that they are in Mount Zion. And so Mount Zion, you know, has a lot of, uh, first of all, historical significance to the Jews. In the Old Testament, it was the city of God. Uh, later, uh, it was referred to as the city of David, Jerusalem. In Jesus' time, it would have been referred to as the Temple Mount. But then when they, they looked ahead to the future, Mount Zion would refer to the future hope of the people of God. It's where God is gonna dwell with his people once for all. It's a place of refuge, of safety, of security. You're finally home. It's a safe place. Like I remember when I was like 11 or 12, I had a paper route and I'd saved up money and had a really cool BMX bike that I was very proud of and all the bright fluorescent colors, uh, white tires, uh, fluorescent green uh, mags. I, I was cool, cool, cool. And I was coming home one night after delivering my papers and there's a, a guy I didn't know well. He was several, probably three or four years older than me, a lot bigger than me, but he was riding one of those generic bikes that had a banana seat uh, with streamers off the handles. And in my arrogance, I'm like, I'm so much better than him. As he was watching me ride by and probably was admiring my bike, I looked at him as I rode by and said, what are you looking at? <laughs> in an instant, I knew that I had gone a place I shouldn't have gone because apparently the type of bike has nothing to do with the speed at which a person can pedal because he took off after me. And I was about, I, you know, I was about a quarter of a mile from home and I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble. Like that was dumb. And I take off and I remember, I'm like, Lord, get me there. And, and I, we had a long gravel driveway and I come around the corner and I, 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 I hit the gravel and I'm sliding sideways and pedaling, you know, I'm like, please, Lord, please don't let mom have, have locked the screen door, man. I gotta get in. And I remember just laying down my bike, running in, slamming the door, locking the door and looking out the window and Tony's just riding in circles. <laughs> and I didn't say it, but I felt like saying, no, 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 no. Like I, I mean, I was safe. Now he might get me out there, but as long as I'm home, he can't come inside. This is actually what we see here in Mount Zion. The bully can't get into the house of God. The, the, the people who have, who have suffered these first fruits that, that we actually talked about several weeks ago and as we finished our first Corinthians series in first Corinthians 15, man, we see them safe and secure gathered to Christ. But then there's another part. So we've got this part where they're rejoicing, they're singing. And then we have another destination here in verse six. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel, which what does gospel mean? It means good news. So I want you to think about good news when I read these next few verses. With an eternal gospel or good news to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his, speaking of, uh, speaking of the, the beast, because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him, 
speaking of God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And you're like, okay, well, hold on a second. How can judgment be good news? Well, I'll tell you how it can be good news. Like, like we get so caught up in this whole thing. We are called to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and our neighbors ourselves. We're, we're called to that. But that does not mean that, that love is, has to be completely divorced from judgment. In fact, I actually think that, that if, for instance, you, you hit my wife and I didn't do something to protect my wife, there wasn't some justice, then I don't love my wife like I should. Justice is a good thing. I remember several years ago, a lady, uh, she's, she's uh, passed on now, but she was here. Her, her daughter had been kidnapped and abused horribly and eventually killed by a serial killer. And it was a terrible story. And so she made an appointment with me because she had advocated for, for them to catch the, the, the person that did this. And, and I remember when they caught this individual, she came to me and she's like, I, I, I just need some help working through this because I know as Christians, we're called to love, but I am so happy that this person is going to be judged. I'm like, that's, that's perfectly appropriate for a Christian. If, if so, we have to get, we have to get rid of, of revelation here because what we're rejoicing is not that the people are gonna suffer. We're, we're, we're rejoicing in the fact that what is turned upside down is gonna be turned right side up, that God is going to make things right. We are going to finally see justice. And so we get more insight as we keep reading. We see there's another angel that's, that's following saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. This is talking again. This isn't an actual city. This is speaking of this spiritual kingdom of darkness, though it manifests itself through actual political uh, states and nations. It's talking about the spiritual kingdom opposed to God, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Verse nine, and another angel, a third, followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. And what, 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 is, what is happening here is that the curtain is being pulled back and all of these things that are celebrated and pushed on Christians and, and, and you know, the, the, the temptation and all this, we see what it really is. We see what's at the heart of this. And the spiritual kingdom has fallen and we see this vivid contrast between the final destination of the people of God marked by God and the worshipers of the beast marked by Satan. Those marked by Christ are singing and rejoicing and celebrating in Mount Zion. Man, verses nine through 11, those who are marked by the imposter, they're, they're gagging and spitting as they drink the wine of God's wrath. Comforted, tormented. Now this isn't a message on hell. We'll hit that later in this series. But this whole idea of 
hell is very offensive to modern sensibilities. In fact, I just recently talked to somebody, I had some good questions about it. I said, how, how in the world would it be, how, how could we say that God is good, loving, even just if a person for eternity suffers for a sin that maybe was only for a season and only happened for a little bit. And first of all, I would, I would say that, that hell is not for a person who has committed a sin or a few sins or whatever. Have we all sinned? Yes. Every single person here has sinned. Now, hell is, is for those who they do not want to worship Christ. I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, for anyone to go to hell, they have to step over the cross of Christ to get there. So this is not just, oh, you committed a sin, you're gonna suffer all eternity. I would say this though, our struggle with this whole idea of sin might be that we don't know what God knows about sin. Because I think that if we knew what God knows, we would do what God did and we would respond as God responds. We don't know this. And so for us, we justify and we're like, well, it's just this. And yet what we don't know is, man, this is, this sin is, is worthy of, of punishment. That even for Christians, what, what made possible? Our saving was still death, was still justice. It's just that Christ took it for us. And what we see here is this picture and it's a, it's a sobering picture. These two marks have entirely different destinations. At the end of this picture, John writes, here's a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Because you're gonna need it, is what he's saying. Verse 13, I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. And what he's saying is, man, endure. It's, it's not like it's not gonna be a struggle. It's gonna happen. But endure to the end. This world is not your home. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. And, and really what he's saying, blessed are those who die trusting in the Lord. And so you, you have to live to the Lord to die in the Lord. But there are three things that he says that I think is beautiful. First of all, you're blessed, which is, it's the same word for happy, uh, rejoicing. You're rejoicing, you're at rest, and then you're rewarded. And I think this is why the, the longer you serve Christ, that I have a good buddy of mine that we were talking about this a while ago. And he said, man, he said, the older I get, the more I wanna go home. He said, I don't wanna leave, but I wanna go home. And it's like this weird tension as, as believers that, that we feel. But he says, blessed are those who die in the Lord. But as part of this, what we see in Revelation 14 as we come to close is that every person is gonna be part of one or two harvests. And there are two radically different harvests. the harvest of grain here in the first, uh, in, in verses 14 through 16, 
Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, in the first, not 14 through 16, that's the second harvest. The, the first harvest is in, in beginning in verse six. Uh, this is the, and, and the one who harvests the grain is, is Jesus Christ. Um, but, but then in verses 14 through 16, we have the harvest of grapes. And this honestly is not a pretty picture. In fact, as, as we read verses 17 through 20, um, man, it's, it's a bloody picture, even, even disturbing but man, we just can't close the Bible and walk away from this because it's disturbing. Because I, I really do believe what, what we have here is not just the, the revelation of Christ. What, what, what we have here is, is also a warning. And you know, a warning is not a bad thing. You, you might not like a warning. Like for instance, when I was in school, you're like, hey, one more time. Not, not a big fan of that. I just didn't like it. And so there were times I would, one more time, you know, but you pay the price. There was a warning. I, I listened to a podcast recently that was talking about, uh, went back to 2004, Hurricane Katrina and talking about what was happening in New Orleans, the, the warning system. And then there was a certain, uh, there was a certain community uh, that were told if, if, if the levee breaks, man, there's nothing that we can do for you. You need to leave. And so they actually went house to house saying, please, would you leave? Please, would you leave? If you stay, if the levee breaks, you're, there's a good chance you're gonna die. And it talked about the people that did leave, which was the great majority, but, but it took time telling the stories of people who, when they received the warning, said, no, nah, I'm gonna do it my way. I'll take my chances. And then the devastation that took place is literally this entire, this entire neighborhood was completely wiped out. And, and uh, dozens of people in this neighborhood lost their lives simply because they ignored the warning. And so I think it's good for us when we read things like, ah, it's kind of weird, I don't know about this, to, 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 to not just say, well, it's disturbing, I don't like to be disturbed and so I'm gonna walk away from this. I think it's good for us to actually understand that the warning is, is another expression of God's grace to us. Warnings are meant for our good, not just to, it's not meant to depress or frighten or control us. No, it's, it's to warn us. Because what we're gonna see, and I'll, I'll end here and then pick up next week is the beginning of Revelation 15. Because while the darkness at the end of, of, of Revelation 14 is, 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 is pretty, it's pretty tough to read, what we see on the other side is actually a pretty cool thing. In fact, the first part of Revelation 15 is, is direct correlation with Exodus 15. In fact, write down Exodus 15 if you're taking notes. And, and I want you to, to go through this because it says that these saints have gathered in verse three says that they're singing the song of Moses. That's, a, that's an interesting, that's an interesting thing. They are singing the song of Moses and the song of the lamb so there are two songs. It's not just the song of Moses because Exodus 15 is when God had heard the prayers. Uh, if you go to Exodus 4, it says that the cries of, of his people in slavery in Egypt, they came up before the Lord. It says that God, God heard, God saw, God knew. And then we read that God acted. Very similar to what we see in Revelation 6. The prayers of the saints, how long, Lord, they're coming up before the Lord. God hears, God sees, God knows. And what we're seeing is God acts. 
And on the other side of his deliverance in Exodus 15, they sing this tremendous song of praise to God for delivering them. But what we see here in Revelation 15 are these people who have been delivered. You see, there is celebration on the other side of deliverance and they're singing this song saying, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord and God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. They're singing because the enemy has been defeated. God has delivered them. And what felt like for a season of time, like God had forgotten all about them. Now they see God had them, God was acting, God's ways are perfect. And while yesterday we suffered, today we celebrate. And really this is a big part of this, that, that we have this hope of celebration on the other side of deliverance. One day we're going to sing. One day we're going to sing this song of deliverance. And so I'm gonna give you application in about 60 seconds. You ready for this? Here's my application. What does this mean to us today? First of all, what this is calling us to today is that, man, we're going to face suffering. There are gonna be times we come up against things. Following Jesus Christ will cost us. But this is a call to endure. Endure in spite of the deception and lies. Dude, don't test your faith by other people's opinion. Test your faith by scripture. But when you're tested, remember that you can't put confidence in a faith that's never been, uh, you, you can't put confidence in a faith that's never been tested. Man, thank God for this. Cling to truth. Make your way to the place of safety. The second challenge is this. Those that are marked by Christ, aren't just marked by a profession. They're marked by those who are faithful. They're marked by faithfulness. And I can't think of anything better than I wanna be marked for as, 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 as a believer. I can't think of anything more that I want for this church than to be marked by faithfulness. We are saved by grace through faith because we're not faithful people, but God does such a work in saving us that he also changes us and he's making us faithful and so what we do is we thank God for the fact that we belong to him. And then we live as if we actually do belong to him. What we say is not divorced from how we live. The two go hand in hand, but we walk and we faithfully follow, not in the striving, but in confidence, knowing that we have been saved by grace through faith. It's the lamb who saved us, it's the lamb who is eventually one day going to lead us home. And so even today, we rejoice. And so God, even as we close the service today, we rejoice. That God, maybe today in this, in this congregation, somebody that, would, that, that maybe there's this like tension because they don't necessarily like this topic that I've been hitting. And, and, and if they were gonna be honest, maybe it's, it's because they don't, Man, they don't like this whole idea. They'd rather make a profession but not have to, to actually live this. And, and God, I'm just praying that you, would, that you would rescue the person that has just taken on your name without actually the life and that you would transform that your Holy Spirit, man, does a work in not just saving us from sin, but of transforming us. Maybe there's been a person that's never been saved and I'm praying that today, there's a warning here, but God, this is the gospel. It's good news. Today's the day of salvation. And I pray that instead of putting their trust and doing better and trying harder, man, they put the, their confidence in the work that Christ has done. 
And then God, for the Christian that is faithfully following you that might be suffering, I'm praying that this today would be a call to endure. What we see today is not the end of the story. I've read the back of the book, we win. And so God, I thank you for that truth. And may we leave here being, being aware, being, being clearly aware of what we're facing, but also being aware of who is for us and how the story is gonna end. So thank you for revelation. Thank you for the Christ that it reveals. Thank you for the confidence that it brings and for what you're gonna continue to do for your people. We thank you. And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. you're dismissed.